Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. As always, I hope that you are, that you are doing well. And we're going to continue through 2 Peter this morning. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 1. Last week, you might recall the, the wonderful passage in verses 3 through 11, the great gospel effect that it had on those who know and follow Christ. Um, this is a very important passage in, in helping us understand, uh, uh, the, I think, for the rest of the, of the book, as well as our verses today, and particularly its context and its, and its tone and in its understanding. Uh, last week, first, we saw fundamentally at our foundation as Christians in verses 3 and 4, is that Christ is key, meaning it is he to whom we have all knowledge in because it is he who has called us. It is he who has given us his great promises of redemption and salvation, sanctification and glorification within the Christian life. And he is the one who will cause all of those who hope in him to become partakers of the divine nature. That's awesome. If you need to remember what that means, you can go back and, and listen to how we unpack that. So in order to get to point A to point B within the Christian life, is understanding that it is his divine power that has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Second, underneath the gracious work of Christ and his divine power that has called us, is that we are also called to supplement our faith, verses 5 through 9. Within the Christian life, to grow in Christ, reflecting his image, we are to supplement our faith with these qualities that are listed out. The qualities of virtue and knowledge and self-control steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, all of which those in Christ have been given everything needed to grow within these qualities, unless we would be at the risk of being ineffective and unfruitful and blind and forgetting the good news of the gospel. An ineffective Christian is not just ineffective, but quite possibly not a Christian at all. That's a serious passage. That's a serious statement. We're not to live stagnant lives, stalled out, ensnared to sin, but rather we are constantly, continually supplementing our faith and our lives with these qualities, which I don't think I said it last week, are qualities that exemplified within our Savior, Jesus Christ. We look to him. Lastly, from verses 10 through 11, or 10 and 11, we are called to be diligent Christians by confirming the effectual call to salvation by displaying the evidences that come from that calling and practicing these qualities. The great effect of the gospel is not a stagnant week, fruitless, immature, sin-loving, quote-unquote, Christian. 
but in Christ and through Christ, we are virtuous. We're growing in knowledge. We're self-controlled. We're steadfast. Pursuing godliness and holiness. And again, it's all played out within our love. Our love for the Lord and our love for one another. Let's look to 1 Peter, 2 Peter, excuse me. 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's start reading in verse 12. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are being established and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by the way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as, the Lord, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, and inerrant word for his glory and for our joy. Amen. The church, throughout the ages, has always placed a lot of significance on the last words of their important leaders. You can read some wonderful biographies of leading Christian men and, and women, theologians, pastors, missionaries. And throughout the centuries, you can hear their testimonies, particularly as it culminates to the end of their life, powerful testimonies of, of God's grace. Usually it's like a, a one or two line, an epitaph, or something that's found in a letter or a, their last sermon or whatever it may be. You'll hear exhortations or encouragement to younger Christians to stay the course, to stay faithful in following Christ, to keep their eyes affixed to Christ. And they'll usually warn about the things of the world or talk about the, the importance and the necessity of theology or even the basics of theology that Jesus loves me. In the Bible we see some farewell addresses as well. We see Jacob speaking to his sons in Genesis 49. Moses to Israel in Deuteronomy 33. Joshua to Israel in Joshua chapter 24. Jesus even in his way gives his somewhat farewell address before the cross and in a very powerful statement of John chapter 13 through 17. And Paul does the same thing in Acts chapter 20, as well as in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And also right here in our passage this morning, you can, you can sense the tone as well as hear it in the words of the Apostle Peter that this, is, this letter is his farewell address. Three times within these four verses, he announces clearly that he is in his last days. That this is it. I'm done. 
I'm dying. I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to die soon. And the reason why the church esteems the last words of important individuals, especially even within the scripture, is because they are usually filled with the most utmost importance of words for us to hear. It puts it in context that we know they're dying. What do, they, what do, you, what do people want to say on their deathbed? We want to listen. And what Peter says throughout 2 Peter is gravely important because it's said with this kind of urgency. It's said with this kind of urgency, just like we heard in the previous passage, his, his goal is that they would finish strong in Christ and that they would not fail. They would finish strong to the glory of Christ as he is striving himself to do. Unfortunately, often the, the way that many have come to understand Christianity has, has come through weak teaching and that they do not seem to care much about how they run the race as long as, their goal is, as long as they just finish the race in heaven. But what that attitude reveals is a very low view of salvation it's a very low view of grace, or maybe a lack of a view of grace, or mercy, or holiness, the Lord himself, the cross, the resurrection, the Bible, and the church. You could add more. That's all, that list is not exhaustive. But to Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is of the utmost importance to him. And that is why he calls his church, he calls the church to remember and to apply the teaching that he is giving to them after he leaves them. He reminds the church of the truth to which they should remain devoted and appeals to them by his own death, drawing out the seriousness of it. Here's a reminder. Just the friendly reminder, Christians, remember these things. You know, reminders in our lives can be somewhat frustrating, can't they? You know, controlling all the notifications on your phone, those are reminders. All from all the various apps or social media, text messages, etc. Ugh, right? I mean, it's... Blech. What a pain. We're, we're constantly bombarded by spam and notifications and calls and text messages and, and emails. We know how frustrating it is to be reminded over and over again, especially by, by, by dumb things. Sometimes we call them nagging. Sometimes we call it a hassle. But if we change our perspective for just a moment... How about when you become the reminder? Not the remindee, but the reminder. You're the one giving the reminding. When some of you were parenting every day, your children, how many times did you have to remind them of the same things over and over and over? Some of you, even though your children may be older, you're still reminding them of some of the same things over and over and over again. Oh, my. 
and the truth shall set you free. Well, such as, did you brush your teeth? Go brush your teeth. Put your shoes on. Go put your shoes away. Did you do your homework? You need to do your homework. Did you do your chores? Put your toys away. Didn't I already ask you about these toys? Why haven't you cleaned your room like I asked you three times now? So on and so forth. Should I go on? You remember those days or current days. Talk about how frustrating day in and day out to be the reminder. Right? And I know, I know, parents, you're, you're telling me there's going to be a day when you're going, to, you're going to miss such things. But we remind ourselves and we remind others. Why? So that things will get done. Right? So that we don't forget something and, and things will get done. But, but here's the thing. that you know The reason why receiving reminders and giving reminders are so frustrating, I think deep down is because it reveals how finite and limited we are just every day. And just the every single day. And this is why we need reminders. Don't forget to pick up some milk. Don't forget to pick up some diapers on your way home. And you forget the diapers. Talking about trouble. Reminders, as frustrating as they may be, as repetitive as they may be to us or to others, we need them. We need them. Repetition and reminders help us to remember the very important things that we must never forget. And in particular, things that we should never be bored or to be frustrated by. And that is the reminders that we see here in Scripture. But rather, when we read them, we should be thankful, especially when we receive these reminders from a man who has poured out his life. Peter's words here are not another useless news notification from Fox News or from anybody else or from some stupid notification from ESPN or Facebook or any of that other stuff. But Peter's reminders are to keep us to continue to pursue the virtuous life in Christ. In these four verses, they actually point forward to the, point back to the, to the rest of the book, but also point forward to the rest of the letter. However, I want us to focus on the emphasis for us today, and that is to listen careful to these reminders. So first from what we see from this passage is this reminder to do what? And that is a reminder to remember. A reminder to remember. Three times in these four verses, Peter tells his readers that it is his desire for them to do what? To be reminded so that they will remember what he has already taught them and what he is going to teach them in the rest of the letter. Remember, we have two more chapters left in 2 Peter. He's already been telling us the important, the importance, excuse me, of remembering, even all the way back in verse 4. Remember what? His grace, his, his great and precious promises. 
We're to remember those great and precious promises. Verse 9, if you lack these qualities, then you're like a person who is blind, nearsighted, and with what? You've, like the person who has forgotten. Like one who has intentional amnesia and has forgotten, totally forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten the, the forgiveness of sin and that you've been cleansed from sin. And so in verse 12, he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, now this is good. This is good, but it seems like that Peter is seemingly obsessed with reminding them that they will remember these same truths. Verse 13, he repeats himself again. I think it right, as long as I am this body, to stir you up by a way of reminder. Be reminded. Remember. He's saying, I have to say this again because I have to make sure before I die that you understand this. That's why he's so adamant. Because it's the gospel. That's the gospel, and the gospel is what's vital to the Christian life. It's important, again, because verse 14, it tells us he's quite confident that he is about to die, that he is near death. He's about to put off the body. The Greek word here literally means tent. Tents are great, but they're not good to live in 100% of the time. And he's saying is, is my body, this life is like a tent, and I'm about to shed this tent. I'm about to die. And this is why he's so adamant of reminding them even again in verse 15. And so I will make every effort so after my departure, death, you may be able to do what? Recall, remind, remember what? Remember these things. Remember these things that I've been teaching you and telling you. Remember these things where I'm, I'm about to tell you. He is doing everything he can as a man in his last days, every effort, so that the Christians that read this letter will be able to do what? At all costs, be able to remember at any time the glorious truths of the gospel. In chapter 2, he's going to address false teachers that are creeping their way within the church and are seeking to steer them away. But at the beginning of chapter 3, once again, we hear his desire to do what? To remind them. He says, this is now the second letter that I am writing you, right? First, letter, first Peter, it's now second Peter. Beloved. In both of them, I'm doing what? I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I'm stirring you up, right? Your mind, I'm, I'm stirring up your mind as a way of reminder to do what? Verse 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and our Savior through the apostles. So five times in 2 Peter, just these three chapters, does he say, this is my desire to remind you so that you would remember, so that you would be kept from stumbling. It's an engagement of their minds, right? You see that there? You see that there in the text, right? There's an engagement of their minds to stir them up, 
to remember. There is something very important going on here. So maybe we should take into consideration the importance for us to remember. Do we understand how crucial it is for us to remember these things? Do we understand on the other side how destructive it is for Christians to forget? To forget the gospel, to forget the word of God, to forget right theology and biblical doctrine. Well, I think we should understand because what we read this morning earlier when we started our service in Deuteronomy chapter 4, when Moses gathered Israel together after the 40 years of wandering in the desert, he does what? He warns them to not forget. In fact, he says this. He says, I think it's in verse 9. He says, let, the, let them, meaning the truths, let these truths, these things, the things that God has done, let them what? Not fade from your hearts. Be careful to not let them fade. Why? Why would Moses say that? I mean, they just got done with some amazing stuff, God's provision, even in the desert. What happens? Well, because the human heart does what? It fades. It fades to forgetfulness. Things fade. Teachings fade. Truths fade. Promises fade. Hearts fade. Desires fade. Have you ever wondered why there are whole passages, almost books of the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament and stories of the Old Testament that are almost completely repeated and almost the same lessons just over and over just repeated over and over again Paul answers the question for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 he says now these things happen to them and he's speaking of Israel happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come for our instruction meaning others have lived through those times and events, but it is our responsibility to read, to meditate, to understand and remember all the truths that are surrounding these passages, what it teaches us about God, the knowledge of God, right? That that's the theme. What's what we've been talking about and the faith-building relationship that we have with the Lord and also what they teach us about ourselves and our tendency to sin, our tendency to forget. Repetition and reminders, particularly in the Bible, are very good for us so that we would not forget and so that our hearts will not forget, fade. You see, forgetting is the beginning of disobedience. Just as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, forgetting is the beginning of disobedience. When we forget God's word, we stop fearing him. When we stop fearing him, we stop fearing sin, and we begin to live for the world, and we live for the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And if you forget long enough, you may fall even away from the faith. 
may not have been from the faith in the first place. The best and only way to prevent ourselves from stumbling is to remember God's word, which is why Peter in his last days is striving to remind you to do so. The, the greatest, I think, classic verse in all the Bible for this is Psalm 119.11. I have stored your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I have put your word in my heart. I've remembered your word. I've memorized your word. I've put it deep into your, my heart so that I would not sin against you, which would keep me from stumbling. And that is a, a huge point and one that cannot be pushed aside of, of, of not being as important. Importance and the necessity of a follower of Christ who is firmly committed to storing God's word in their hearts. On the positive side, storing God's word in our heart, remembering these things, it keeps us close. It keeps us close to him. It keeps us satisfied in him. It keeps us desiring him. Yes, studying the scripture and studying the word of God, it is a daily duty, but it is certainly a daily delight and joy. But brothers and sisters, hear me on this. It is not a work or a duty or a joy that we do alone. Hear the words of our Savior. Say this to you from John chapter 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Did you hear that? We have a Helper. A helper given to each of us in Christ. And this helper is who? It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the third part of the, the Trinity. And who gives the Spirit? The Father sends the Spirit. And he sends the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name. This is a Trinitarian effort for you. And then to what end then? To what end is the Holy Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit given to us? He is given to us to come as our teacher, right there, as your teacher in all things. Your teacher in all things. We talked about last week, his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart and the souls and the minds and the bodies of each and every single one of us who are in Christ. He is our teacher and he is for your spiritual growth and for your maturity and for your holiness that you may be, uh, uh, be, be moving into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But listen what he also says, what Jesus says. He's your teacher, but the Holy Spirit is also reminding you. John 14, 26, he is reminding you. He's reminding you of everything you have been taught. Right? You've been reminding of everything you've done. The Holy Spirit is reminding you of God's word. What a gift from the Lord. 
Because guess what? He knows your weakness. He knows your frailty. He knows how quickly it is for every single one of us to forget. And the Holy Spirit says, ding, ding, ding. Reminder. Remember this. Remember God's promise? That doesn't satisfy. This satisfies. Remember the joy in Christ. That's temporary. That's not going to satisfy, but Christ will. He's reminding you of his word. He's reminding you of his promises. He knows how quickly we can forget. Each of us live under the pressures of this world. We live under the temptations to sin and the seduction to earthly beauty and earthly glamours and to worship it. Forgetting is easy for us to do. And yet we see Peter who's an example in the Gospels as one who forgets, man. Jesus, let me walk out to you on the water. I want to come to you. Yeah, come on, bro. He's walking. He's going to Jesus. He's happy. He's the best surfer ever. And then what? He forgets and he looks away. He forgets. He doesn't like Christ, but he forgets. He looks away. And what is it? He begins to sink. Oh, he remembers then. He remembers then. Right? I mean, he's the perfect example of this. He's also the example of the one who forgot so quickly after seeing Jesus hauled away by the priests and the guards. And then when he's questioned under the pressure of temptation and fear, he failed once again to remember. And yet, O oh Christian, lest we just pick on Peter, how easy it is for us to forget as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said of sin, and he was speaking particularly of lust, that as it takes control, that at that moment God loses all reality to us, but not because Satan has filled our heart with a hatred of God, but rather with a forgetfulness of God. It's our own passions and desires that are turned against us that cause us to forget. So no wonder, church, does Peter firmly desire to remind you of these qualities, the qualities for sanctification. He wants to remind you of the, the promises of Christ, the, the truth of the gospel, the forgiveness of the gospel, the election of Christ, and the grace of Christ, and the mercy of our God. And this is why this man who is in his last days, he speaks with the authority of even his death, to stir them up, and to even make them uncomfortable in such a way that they will not forget the truths and the teachings of God's word. Well, brothers and sisters, are you stirred up to remember? Are you stirred up to remember? Are you reminded to be more faithful and more mindful in remembering the gospel and be able to recall it, as he says, at any time and when it truly matters? The first there is a reminder to remember. The second is, as we see a reminder in these verses to be firmly established. A reminder to be firmly established. Back in verse 12, he says he is reminding us of these qualities. 
though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. This verse is sort of a, a compliment. It reads as a compliment to me. And it's, it's a, I want to, I want to remind you of these things, but I also want you to know that I, I, I already know, I recognize already, and I know that you know them. And, and you've applied these things, right? You've applied these things on, on different occasions and different opportunities, and you have seen the fruitfulness of knowing them and doing them. He says, you are established in the truth. That's a good place. It's a good place to be established in the truth, isn't it? To not be questioning, to not be doubting. I think that's a compliment. Verse 12, verse 12 is a compliment that we all would like to have said by us, by one of the apostles. However, Peter is still reminding them, though, isn't he? He says, I know you, you, you know these things, you've been doing these things and you're establishing, but I'm still reminding you of these truths because I want you to continue to be established. I don't want you to forget. You know, we already talked about forgetfulness and being remembered. So what is it that they know? Well, they know the qualities, right? Verses 5 through 8, the faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. How are they established, or where are they established? They're established in the truth. Well, what is the truth here? Well, simply the truth is the truth, because there is only one truth. There is only one truth, and there is only the truth, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father through me. The truth is Christ. This is what you firmly have been established in, the truth of Christ and the gospel. So he's affirming them in knowing the qualities, and he affirms their establishment in Christ. Paul also affirms and encourages the church in, in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1. He says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. That's that's applying the qualities, knowing them, doing them, being established in them because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, right? It's established in truth of Christ. Of this you have heard before the, world, before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. That's established, right? That's, that's roots, that's roots that's now producing fruit of the, the, the vine that's been grafted in the Christ. You're bearing fruit, and it's increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of the truth, right? So the effectiveness of the gospel in the life of a Christian does what? It produces fruit. What a compliment being paid toward them. It's a compliment that, that, once again, any one of us as a church, as, as individuals, we would want to be said of us. And yet, in these verses, there's still the ongoing reminder of them to not, only, uh, to, to not only know these qualities and be in these qualities, but to be established in the truth. To be established 
is a pretty important word here used by Peter. It's a verb. In particular, it's a, it's a passive participle that's for the modifying the noun, the truth. And what he means by it is he means to strengthen. He means to firm up, to shore up, to establish something is to strengthen it so that it will be able to endure. We establish our homes by living in them. We establish them through various modifications, making in our own, hanging up pictures, changing the flooring, whatever it may be, arranging your furniture in the way that you, you want it to be and setting up the kitchen the way that you want it to be, setting up various security things and landscaping, etc. We establish our homes by making roots, living there. Foundations of buildings are, are strengthening, strengthened by digging deep foundations, right? These things called footers that go deep down into the earth that reinforce with steel and concrete so that the, the building or structure would be able to stand and be able to bear the weight. The word to be established, we see throughout the New Testament. It's actually a, a favorite word of, of Paul when talking about the church and how the, the church is to be established in the gospel or how they already are established in the gospel. He says it in Rome, or Romans. He says it in First and Second Thessalonians. James uses, employs this word. But also another one who uses this word, of course we see Peter doing it, is we see Jesus. Jesus used this word to be established. Turn over to Luke chapter 22, if you would. Luke 22. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 22. We see in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus is having the Passover the Lord, in the Lord's Supper with, with his boys, and they're around the table to... Uh, together, and he's speaking to them, and some of them he speaks individually, but, but directly in verse 31, he speaks to who? Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demands to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Now we know what's going on here. Jesus is about to be betrayed, the night really from this point on is going to get darker and, and, and darker for them and for all of them. And Jesus told them, he told all of them that, that every single one of you, all of you are going to fall away from me. And that's when Peter piped up, right? Remember Simon, he pipes up. He says, not me, Jesus. I'm with you to the end. And Jesus says, yeah. In fact, before the rooster crows, Peter, three times, you're going to deny me. This is the sifting of sand, the sifting that, that Satan wants to do in Peter. But what Satan wants to do in Peter is what he wants to is to be his end and to be his, his destruction. But this is what Jesus has prayed for. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, Luke records Jesus telling, telling Peter how he has prayed for him. Peter, this is how I've prayed for you. I know it's coming, man. I'm praying for you in this way, that you would not fail. 
Now, isn't it interesting that the same desire that Jesus had for Peter on that night is the same desire that Peter has right before he dies for his people and for the church? That they would not fail. Jesus is about to die on the cross, and he tells Peter this. I pray for you, Peter, you wouldn't fail. Peter's about to die, and he says, I don't want you to fail. And Jesus continues there in verse 32. He says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. When you get back up, Peter, because that's what I prayed for. And when you turn again, when you repent, when you are restored, I want you to take what you have learned here, and I want you to strengthen your brothers with it. The same word that Jesus uses is the same word that Peter will employ later in his life there in verse 12. So that they will be established. Peter, they need you. They need you to strengthen them. They need you to establish them upon the rock. And even in Peter's last day, this dying man, his desire for Christians is to be established, strengthened, and built upon this truth. Not just for this day, not for the previous days, but for the future. For all days. Yesterday's godliness was good. But if not sustained and continually established and built upon it, it will not be sufficient for today if it's left unattended or unnourished. One of the few things that I have learned about exercising is how important it is to exercise not only continually, but also in particularly core muscle groups, including particularly the abdominals, right? It's the core. It's one of the most important uh, muscle groups that you have because it actually keeps everything in place from, from your back to your legs, from your chest, from everything up top, everything on top, everything at the bottom are all connected and it keeps everything in place. And if you exercise your abdominals continually, they will begin to strengthen. And they're one of the muscles in the body that the more that you work them, the more they want. They want to continue to grow. Like, so if you do you know, 20 reps of an exercise, the next day they want to do 30. It may hurt, but they want you to do 30. They're one of those muscles that, that want more. But also just as bad as if that if they are neglected, even just for a few days, when you go back to them, you can feel how weak they can get and how weak they are, even over just a short amount of time. It's like they have forgotten how to work. Again, just like in our, in our bodies, in our hearts, and in our minds, we, we tend to forget. We want to believe that yesterday's exercises will work for today, but what we are being reminded of is that we need the gospel truth daily. We need it over and over and applied to our hearts and our minds so that we are being strengthened and built up and continually established for each day. The world is trying to mold you and shape you into it every day. This is why Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. 
Right? Why does he say that? Because the world is trying to conform you. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is acceptable, or what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. We are established, we are establishing ourselves daily because the world wants to conform us into it. We also must be established, again, for the context of the rest of the, the letter, because there are false brands of Christianity everywhere. There are false brands of Christianity everywhere, and their teachers are everywhere. I mean everywhere. There's a whole lot more of them than there are of us. To be established is the goal of our ongoing work of the ministry together in Christ. That's why we continually meet. That's why the Lord says meet each Lord's Day, every Sunday. Don't forsake the gathering. And it's upon that foundation, and only that foundation, do we want to be built. We want to be established in Christ. Never join a church where God's word in Christ is not only the foundation in word, creed, statement, or confession, but also in its practice. Upon this solid rock we stand, for all other ground is what? Sinking sand. We want to be established in him. This morning's words of a dying man I hope has pierced our hearts that, that no matter how far along you may be in this Christian life, we all need a reminder. Our minds and our hearts can, can be so short-minded. Our hearts are tempted to, to dig footers in sand and find joy in empty wells. But yet by God's grace, we are being reminded. By God's grace, we will know the qualities of Jesus Christ and practice them daily. By God's grace, we will be able to remember the glorious good news of the gospel daily. That we were cleansed from our former sins. That we were forgiven, that we were redeemed and adopted as sons and daughters. And that we are awaiting a rich and glorious inheritance and that we have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. That is the Holy Spirit, his word, and we have been given each other, the church. So by God's grace, we must remember that at any time, these truths, we must remember them so that you and I will be able to recall them in times of doubt, in times of frustration and suffering and persecution and temptation and fear and apathy or pride. By God's grace, may we continually be established in the truth that we have been given God's word every day. Never to take it for granted. Never to take for granted yesterday's mercies for today. And so that just as Jesus prayed for Peter and that Peter wrote, we would never fail. We all need a reminder like this every now and then. And all God's people say,